This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. On third down, his pass is deflected at the line, and Cooper picks it off. The Broncos with Denver Broncos with that interception. Big day for the defense. Huge day for the defense. Could have ended up with a a shutout. The Broncos end up winning that game over the Chargers. They get the win. They control their own playoff destiny. They scored 24 points, Sandy. So I'm I'm gonna start with this question. And maybe it seems a little unfair because you know they scored 24 points. They won 24-7. Is this offense diverse enough, do you think, in the final four games? To make it into the playoffs, or do you think they have to have a little more? I know the teams that they're facing. Uh, Detroit is going to be a playoff team. But the Chargers presumably won't have Herbert the rest of the year. There's no reason to play him. The Raiders have gone to Aiden O'Connell. They couldn't even score a point against Minnesota. The Patriots are terrible. The Patriots might actually be the most dangerous of the three AFC teams left. Defensively, they're the most dangerous team left. But is this offense, as it stands, enough to get this team to where it wants to go, or do you need to see more? I, I guess I look at it at first and look at the yards per carry, and I, I thought Javante Williams is looking better and looked good in the game, and I thought was better than the stats would indicate. Yes. They're still not generating big runs. Everything is still very three, almost literally three yards yeah, in a cloud of if, dust. If explosive runs are defined as 12 yards or longer, uh, they've admittedly been few and far between. I know he broke one for 20. Uh, the other day. Right. But that was the long gain by a Bronco rusher in the game. And the only explosive run that I can recall was the, was the 20-yarder. Now, he made lesser gains that could have been losses or uh, plays stopped at the line of scrimmage for no gain. More diversified. Um, the diversification in their offense has come from prior to week seven not having Cortland Sutton factor in very much as a receiver. Probably fair. since week seven, Cortland Sutton has accounted for almost half of Denver's air yards, 49.7%. Wow. Uh, That is second over that same span to Garrett Wilson of the Jets, who had a very big game on Sunday for the Jets and their big win over Houston. You could argue that at least on that basis, no team in the AFC, save for possibly the Jets, has relied on one receiver more since week seven than the Broncos have relied on Cortland Sutton. And that is a change. That is a big change. The fact that he's caught 10 passes for touchdowns. Seven in the last eight He certainly wasn't on anything resembling that sort of pace. And Bronco pass receivers catching 10 or more touchdown passes in a season, you have to go back quite a few years into the Demarius Thomas, Julius Thomas era. As a matter of fact, they were the last two right. in the same season to have 10 or more TD receptions. The concern with, with uh, and those numbers are amazing. I mean, the 50% is shocking. But at the same time, I mean, in the those last eight games in which he has seven touchdowns, Here's been the yardage totals, 62, 77, 61, 66, 53, 29, 76, 
and 46, working backwards to the Kansas City game that they lost 19 to 8, but Sutton had the touchdown reception. That's a high of 77 yards. His high on the, the year is 91 yards. Now, is that indicative of the Broncos' offense simply not throwing it around? Or is it something else? Because in that span, at least in the last four games, he hasn't had more than four catches. Yeah, and I think it's important to note, as we did yesterday, that during the game on Sunday, and I'm assuming this is a first because just going back from memory, I do chart the games as I'm watching them, and I compile kind of an outline of statistical information for use on this show the following day. And I don't remember a game. Now, I'm 66 years old. I do forget things. <laughs> um, I do not, not remember a many. game. I don't remember a game in which they had 10 different pass receivers, as they did on Sunday. And 10 different receivers catching a total of 21 pass I mean, it's almost so, hard I, I to, mean, to have more than really, 10, right? I mean, how, how you many are you keeping on the roster? You can't have more than 10. I mean, you're keeping, now, what, now, six wide receivers, I, three I, tight I, ends, that's nine, can, and a couple running backs? I guess I can that's hazard. everybody. I, I guess I can hazard uh, maybe a bit of a guess on that. Uh, Sean Payton used 22 offensive players during the game on Sunday. Again a number I don't recall being certainly any higher than 22 or even as high as 22 this year. And only three of those 22 took every snap. Mm-hmm. That would be Bowles, Cushenberry, and Wilson. You know about the injury to minors. Right. Not really an injury, but the accelerated heartbeat that resulted in a he needed to be properly out of the removed and then, from the game and then in the hospital. In the hospital, he has Although since he's returned. Okay. Yep, he's, he's okay. He's okay. Seems to be okay. Returned. Right. Uh, McGlinching and Powers both missed snaps. Uh, Bailey played a few snaps. But, uh, you know, the, you had Fleming out there for 4% of the snaps. Justin Simmons in recent weeks has been out there for <laughs> some offensive snaps. I, uh Brandon Johnson was out there for 16% of the snaps. I'm just looking at the receivers uh, who are out there. Kroll, 25% of the snaps, the tight end. Man Hurts, 34%. Mims, 37% of the snaps. Judy, uh, 57%. But Lil Jordan Humphrey, 57% of the snaps. He played as much as Judy did during the game the other day. And then, of course, you have Sutton at 75%. But it's interesting. Of all those receivers, all 10 of them, not one played more than three-quarters of the snaps. Hmm. Even Cortland Sutton was right there at 75%. So it sounds like he's making the most of his time then in that regard. Only 22 times in the Broncos history have there been a receiver with 10 or more catches. Of course, multiple guys have done it multiple times. But it's only happened 22 times uh, ever. And if he catches one more, that ties him for ninth in Broncos history for the yeah. biggest single season total. I mean, it's the, the record is not entirely out of reach. That is tied from Demarius Thomas in 2013 and Anthony Miller back in 1995. They each had 14. Uh, Eric Decker in 2012 and Steve Watson in 81 each uh-huh. had 13. Yeah. But you're pretty close to some big numbers here. I mean, he gets to 12. You're tied with number five, Rod Smith and 
Lionel Taylor. Yeah. Guys whose names are in well, the ring up above, yeah. you know? Uh, the difference between those two, um, actually quite a few differences, but both great players, is that Smith played on a team that scored all the time, and yeah. Lionel Taylor played Rarely on a team scored. that didn't score many touchdowns that Lionel Taylor didn't score. Because that 12 touchdowns for Lionel Taylor, by the way, was in 1960, the Broncos' debut season. Right. And um, they, weren't they weren't good. good. By any stretch of the imagination. In fact, they never had a single winning season. They had one seven and seven year in the AFL, and they were the worst year in the AFL that year. The, the, the worst team, worst team in the AFL their first year, and worst team in the AFL through the ten year uh, period. But um, I, I, I don't know when you talk about diversification, finding higher gears somewhere, mm-hmm. yeah. somehow. Um, I, I think Wilson was uh, properly aggressive uh, the other day. The, the interception wasn't even his fault. No. But that, that wasn't you, you don't look at that pass and say, oh, he was too aggressive. Yeah. Uh, no. That's the last thing. Like, like, even short, if you thought it was yeah, his short out route. Short right. little out. And, uh, you know, they, I think the big question is what of Jerry Judy and yeah. what is really going on there uh he, he was a little more involved on Sunday than he had I been. I think they were forcing the involvement. I, we'd heard Sean Payton talk all oh, week. What did he catch? Three passes? Yeah. We, we'd heard Sean Payton talk all week about Jerry Judy. In fact, kind of using it to sort of obliquely run Russell Wilson under the bus a little bit, indicating that Judy's open and it was Wilson's fault for not getting it to him. Well, uh, he caught two passes uh against the Chargers for a grand total That's right, two for 16, 16 yards uh, on six mistake. targets, which was the most he'd had in nearly yeah. a month. But two for six. And you remember the deep ones that fell out well, of the Two of reach. them should have absolutely and, been and caught. Even even the announcers, who I, I, I say even the announcers, listen, they're national guys. Uh, they they do have the advantage. This is uh, Andrew Catalan, I think, mm-hmm. uh, doing play-by-play with Matt Ryan and Tiki Barber combining on analysis, and they've done Bronco games this year. And good for them after another futile attempt at connecting with Judy, saying there just isn't any Man Ryan's completed a lot of passes. There's no chemistry. Tiki Barber caught a lot of passes. Uh, They're fully aware. And yeah, on the the first one that Judy dropped, uh, yes. Wilson tried to throw it to the outside yeah. where Judy would have been open. And it went a little more to the outside, I think, than right. Wilson intended. But It wasn't quite a drop, but it wasn't quite an uncatchable pass. It was either. not an uncatchable pass. And the would-have-been touchdown was awful. I mean, the, the, you have to drag your feet. I mean, every, that's wide receiver 101. Wilson threw that in the perfect location. You know, on the money, on time. I'm glad you mentioned that. And Judy just didn't put his feet down. And he had room to put his feet down. In the Buffalo game, when they threw the touchdown pass to Sutton, my first reaction was, no way he caught it. Right. Right. Had to have been out of bounds. I, I don't think there are too many receivers in the league who could have made that catch and kept both feet. No, what uh, the... Uh... NFL next gen stats at that 3%. is the 3% the lowest completed touchdown pass since they've begun tracking it. And I'm looking at Judy on Sunday and my reaction was quite different. I said, well, that looks like a touchdown, but then it's Jerry Judy. And my first instinct was that he had to have gotten both feet. Down, had to plenty, of but room. it didn't really look like he did. 
and then it wasn't even close on the replay. No. As soon as you do the replay, you're like, close. oh my goodness. Not even, no, it wasn't. And I had a big choreographed dance ready to go, but didn't put the feet down. And look, I've been a big Jerry Judy defender ever since he was drafted. And I still think there is a lot of talent there. But the in-game focus has to be so much better than where it is for the Denver Broncos to be able to trust him. And I think when you talk about little Jordan Humphrey getting basically the same amount of snaps, I, to me, he, quite frankly, right now, he seems... I don't know if he is... Uh, in fact, I, I don't say he's... A, a little bit of Ross Colton, uh, right. Ryan Johansson. He's not there. better. He's right. not more talented. Right. But if you were to ask me today, I would say he might be more reliable... And more deserving of playing time than Jerry Judy. I, I and, believe and, and that and I trust had, a pass going to little Jordan Humphrey or Brandon Johnson same number of to snaps be caught more some. than I do Jerry Judy yeah. at this point. I agree. And that I was uh, two catches okay. on six targets. Listen, I, I'm looking at the people who played as much or more at wide receiver or tight end. Humphrey, trust him more. Troutman, trust him more. Sutton, trust him more. Okay, those are three guys I trust more to That's catch the ball. That's not counting a Pirine or otherwise. Pirine, Pirine, uh, you know, again, is not putting up spectacular receiving numbers. But he gets you a lot of first downs. he caught five for 36 the other day, and he's good at converting on third down for first downs. He runs so hard. Uh, I don't believe he's dropped a pass this year. If he has, it's, and I, yeah, I, it's you been know, a while. I, when I look around the league, and I see the Kansas City Chiefs have dropped 33 passes. I can see why Patrick Mahomes, though he was misguided, Running a little was hot. so frustrated at the end of the game the other day. Yeah. Especially when a buffoon like uh, Tony, Tony is who, who, all he's, who all the way, while he's done all years, drop passes. All he's and done then, is And then passes. he eliminates this, a play, a play that was right. a brilliant improvisation by Kelsey. To basically hand right. Tony a touchdown, yeah. but he was offside. Just a quick aside on that play, because Peyton Manning went on yesterday, I believe, with pardon the interruption, Tony Kornheiser, Michael Wilbon, and they asked him about that play, and he said, you know, listen, the guy was outside, offside, but blow the play dead. For goodness sake, blow the play dead. If it's blow an offensive offside? Yes, blow yeah. the play dead. I, I agree with that. And he said it. I think part of the he's if you decided part to of the flag frustration it. was the play played out and it's one of those highlight reel plays that they show on scoreboards before yeah. games begin. It, yeah. As historical If you know it was an plays. offensive penalty that you were gonna flag, blow it dead. Blow it dead. Now uh, you know blow it dead or let it go. One any of the two. any yeah. number of people, probably not all at once, but any number of people could gotten hurt on that play and it was dead play. Right. He lined up offside. And then That's the referee threw that flag knew immediately it was a dead right. play of course of course so uh, you know I, I i'm reading some stuff today that i you know now we're getting backlash to the backlash and be like well you know he didn't gain enough of an advantage that he wouldn't have scored on the play anyway well okay but he lined up, he offside. Lined up offside and i'm sorry andy reed walked a lot of what he said sure. back the other day as did mahomes by the way who mainly apologized to josh allen for kind of Stealing his spotlight stealing a little. His, well, yeah. stealing his spotlight and also complaining to Josh Allen about what a ridiculous ending game was. Right. Josh Allen said, nah, I, don't I didn't think it was so it. ridiculous. I didn't have anything to do yeah. with it, which Mahomes admitted. He said, I mean, Josh Allen didn't have anything to do with it. I was upset with the officiating and it, it, uh, my exchange with uh, 
Allen was not and it, that's especially really like the polite. First but, time we've ever seen but, Mahomes do that, and I yeah. guess every once in once in your career you're entitled but to have a Andy little. But Andy Reid is sticking to this idea that it was a matter of inches. Yeah, and I mean he covered the, the ball. If you looked at it down the line, you could not see the football no. before it was snapped. He had blocked with his it. entire he was that yeah. far offside. He was halfway. Well, when to they showed Topeka, the when they showed the line, sake. I mean his heel was barely touching the line. I mean he was offside. But but you look at you look at the Jerry Judy situation. Right. right. His heel. Just barely. Just barely. Basically. Uh, Jerry Judy just has five hundred and seven yards. That's sixtieth in the league. But out of the 59 players ahead of Jerry Judy in receiving, only two, Elijah Moore of the Browns, who has 543 yards. And you go up a little bit to, to find more receivers, but only two of those receivers have one touchdown. Everybody else, Chris Godwin of the uh, Buccaneers is the other 659 yards and one touchdown. But nobody in the top 60 with more than 507 yards and if you think I'm cherry-picking, I can go down and say 62 receivers with 500 or more yards. That's fine. That's Odell Beckham. But nobody has fewer than the one touchdown Jerry Judy one has, touchdown. and only two guys are like it. One touchdown. All year? And he's missed one game. He has 42 catches. He's played in 12 games out of 13. 42 catches. One touchdown. So, okay, uh, let's put it at 12 games he's played. And 42 catches. Cortland Sutton has That's 10 exactly touchdowns. three and a half catches a game. And forget this. Remember, Cortland Sutton only has 53 catches. Right. He's got 10. Cortland Sutton has 11 more catches on the year than Jerry Judy. That's it. Yeah. 11. I know. It doesn't seem like it. It seems see, like it's way catches, more than that. One touchdown reception versus 53 and 10. And 10. Who do you think has been? Who are you going to go to in the red zone? More impactful. And who are you going to trust? Right. It, it, you go to people in the red zone you trust. Adam Troutman has three touchdowns in right. 19 catches. Right. Brandon Johnson has three in eight yes. catches. He didn't catch a pass the other day. He was one of the few receivers in the game who did not catch a And he's a tied pass. for second in the, on the team. he still caught three to Judy. Brandon Schneider. Johnson and Adam Troutman are tied for second on the team in reception, touchdown receptions. With three. So I, I Brandon guess, Johnson and Adam Troutman. Over the and last Jaleel McLaughlin. 16, 17 minutes, we've established that to diversify the offense, uh, alert Jerry Judy that he's being paged. His head coach last week backed him up as much as you can back up any player, especially one who's only caught one touchdown pass all year as a receiver. He, he's the number one draft choice, which Cortland Sutton was not. The second receiver, I think, taken in that draft. Right. Loaded. Behind only Ruggs. Terrific wide receivers. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And he was the second one taken. The first one was Henry Ruggs, and we know what happened to him. C.D. Lamb and Justin Jefferson in particular uh, have uh, far out. I mean, my, my, my favorite sarcastic uh, text every weekend when I'm watching the Cowboys is, boy, that C.D. Lamb is good, but he's no Jerry Judy. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, true. Not in the way it's usually meant, yeah. but it is true. <laughs> By the way, you mentioned Samaje Piran. 44 targets on the year, 40 catches, 18 of them. Reliable. 18 of them for a first down. Yeah. So You'll it gives you an idea of those numbers. And this late in the day. season, if you're Russell Wilson, you have to go to the guys you trust. And uh, let's be clear. Samaje Piran played 21% of the snaps on Sunday. 
and caught five passes for 36 yards on yeah. 21% of the snaps, barely a fifth. Burton played as many snaps as Pirine played right. on Sunday. Right. The, the, the efficiency matters. What you do with those snaps matter. Well, Kareem Jackson hasn't had a lot of snaps lately because, of course, he's suspended. This is the second suspension. He had an opportunity uh, to speak at his own charity event uh, last night about his conversation with Roger Goodell. Uh, let's just say he's still confused. I don't know if Broncos country is confused, but we'll talk about it next on My Life Sports. Regulators. You regulate any stealing of his property. We're damn good, too. But you can't be any geek off the street. Gotta be handy with the steal, if you know what I mean. Earn your keep. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. I mean, at the end of the day, I, I mean, I gotta still play the game. You know, um, I'm gonna go out and I'll play the game as, you know, as I have, you know, since 2010, you know, for me, uh, I guess lowering my 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 target even more than I have. Uh, as far as trying to protect the guy on the other side, it's impossible. I have no clue as to how I'm supposed to do that. It's it's, it's impossible. That was Kareem Jackson from his uh, commendable charity event, by the way, working with uh, Walmart and Parker, hosting 50 Youth for. The Boys and Girls Club of Denver for uh, what what's the annual Jack of Claws shopping spree, yeah. bringing those kids in, uh, and good for him for doing that. Yes. At the same time, Sandy, a whole bunch of players this year figured out how to tackle guys without getting suspended. At a certain point, I don't really know what to say. I I don't know how to react either, and I am almost certain that when. Jackson spoke with Roger Goodell that Goodell never told him your primary responsibility is to protect offensive players. Which is what Jackson said. He said, followed, and he said uh, I I'm quote, sorry. I was told I'm responsible for the offensive guy's no. protection. I, 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 doubt, I doubt that was the what he was told. The league is responsible. And this I'm is sure how what they Goodell choose to said, this is how we protect the offensive right. players from hits that may or may not be penalized during the game. We have a chance to review them. Our mandate is to protect those on the receiving end of these hits. I'm sure he wasn't telling Kareem Jackson that you failed to do your job because your job, your only to protect job the is guy to you're protect tackling. the guy you're tackling. Yeah, I don't buy that's that That's just not. I think that's a misinterpretation at best or... Maybe something even more than Maybe that. something even more than that, yes. But on the bright side for the Broncos, and you can talk about what you'd like with uh, Kareem Jackson. You and I felt that both his suspensions were justified, and actually I, I was surprised this first one was even cut in half. They're not surprised. The second one wouldn't be after you get a first one and they cut it in half uh, as a sort of a goodwill gesture, and then you do it again. But Jackson is sort of uh, Wally Pipped himself, if you will. I'm talking about the old, you know, feels like the, <laughs> I mentioned that, I'm like, Ugh. Many of our audience really guessed that. Wally Pipp was a heck of a first baseman for the New York Yankees. He missed a game. One Lou Gehrig came in, and then Lou Gehrig played the next 12 years without missing a game. But P.J. Locke has 
not only stepped up in the position, I think he's exceeded what Jackson did. He became the first safety in Broncos history to get sacks at three straight games. Uh, he's been, I, I, I'm not going to say Pro Bowl level, but he's been. Oh, no, no. He's been quality NFL but starter he's, level. He, he's been more than adequate, and I know the last game that Kareem Jackson played before he got suspended, he was out on the field for every snap. Well, P.J. Locke was out there for every snap but one the other day. 99% of the snaps. Uh, the four Bronco defenders who played every snap were, of course, Simmons and Sertan, along with Singleton and Moreau played every snap as well. Locke played 99% of the snaps. Jewel, 93%. McMillan, 87%, and uh, everyone else, including Zach Allen and uh, Jonathan Cooper, were at 75 and 74% on down, respectively. The Broncos basically stuck to uh, the 11-man lineup uh, of uh, uh, Simmons and Locke and Sertan and Moreau and, of course, Singleton and Jewel, uh, Locke, uh, who am I missing? Allen, Cooper, and Browning, along with DJ Jones. Right. Now, filling in and playing a fair amount, almost half the game, was Drew Sanders, largely because Nick Benito got hurt early in the game and only played 13% of the snaps. And then you had Harris at 31%, Henningson at 24%, Purcell at 19%, Moss at 4%, and Turner Yell at 1%. Um, but they, they're basically... This is happening most every week now. They, they go with that base 11 and kind of rotate seven other guys in, and that's it. They're not playing a whole lot of people on defense, and I think Vance Joseph has streamlined that a little bit, and I, I can go back earlier in the year and take a look uh, as to whether the first three or four weeks of the season he was playing a lot more guys. My guess is he was. I don't know, a lot more, but more than 18. But I think in recent weeks we've seen, certainly during this winning streak, the Broncos really streamline. Now, one guy who would ordinarily play and who is not at the moment is, of course, Kareem Jackson, uh, who would be out there presumably on a regular basis, although I agree with you. I'm not sure he deserves to be. I'm perfectly comfortable with P.J. Locke. Now, P.J. Locke injured his ankle in the Buffalo mm -hmm. game, and that became a problem because Turner Yell had to come in and play regularly uh, down the stretch in that game. And the Bronco defense was a bit shaky uh, without Locke in there. But then when Locke comes back, apparently a tough guy, comes back and doesn't seem to miss a beat, he's at least as good as Jackson, and he's much less reckless. I, I think certainly today, as it stands today, Yes, I look at it and think that that PJ Locke is the is the right guy to start. I am curious to see what Sean Payton does when Jackson returns from his suspension. But I don't see why on a team that's won five out of his last six, you make any sort of dramatic changes, especially because the defense has looked very good. And as you pointed out, Locke's been kind of much like Justin Simmons, a stabilizing force. And when he's gone, it's immediately noticeable. And so I think at that point, you really can't go ahead and do that. And The drop-off is much greater from Locke to, let's say, Turner Yell than yes. it would be from Jackson to Locke or Locke to Jackson, I guess. But, and I mean, it, that's the trick. I mean, a bit of Locke, a drop off Locke to Jackson, I think yeah. that's probably the way to go coming back. Jackson also said that he sent a thank-you note to Goodell that included 
videos of other hits. And by the way, <laughs> uh, I don't know if any of you have ever been uh, married or, or had an argument with a spouse or whatever, but let me I assure you, this this plant doesn't work. You don't, you don't send a message. And he, he sent a message to other hits that uh, with videos that other hits that were not uh, flagged and said, quote, well, he wasn't help. flagged either. Yeah, I can't help but think you guys are singling me out because these guys aren't getting flagged. There's no consequences. Well, why would these they are far worse than guys. mine. The, the kitchen sink approach, you're going, but look at all these other guys are doing. Yeah, they're not talking to, to them. They're but talking you, to you. Yeah, but you didn't get flagged. You, you didn't get flagged not, either. Yeah, on not, the on, last not on the last on one. Not on the last one. Not the last on the, one. You're that was not flagged. Nope. So sending a bunch of clips showing guys who weren't flagged, well, you weren't flagged either. They determined that what you did was the act of a recidivist mm -hmm. and you got suspended largely because you had been suspended previously and right. didn't heed the warning. That was literally the first action he had in that game right. was on that play and it was a cheap shot. So uh, yes, if that had been the first over a matter of uh, career or any number of years, it, I, I don't think he gets four games. He might get one. Right. But, but I mean, two earlier this year, you had a four-game suspension that was reduced to two, and then you immediately came back and, then and got you another came hit. back, and the first what chance you had. What do you expect you had, they're going to do? Because you, you just Of course, made, they're going to hit. You're, you're lucky they you didn't hit you for more than four. just made the league offices look like fools right. for reducing your suspension. From four to two. That's exactly and right. And so, of course, they're going to come back harder. He will miss this game against Detroit. will be eligible to come back for the Broncos' last three, the Patriots. The Chargers and the Raiders to end the year in the uh, after the calendar turns to 2024. Uh, I, I'm of the belief that what's happening with this defense needs to probably stay just the way it is. You know, I think so. And what they're able to do with Locke getting sacks in three consecutive games that they can't do with Jackson is now that they have gotten younger, right? Vance Joseph seems to be doing a little bit. I'm not making the direct comparison, but for Broncos fans that have seen it. A little bit of Wade Phillips here in so much as we're not going to tip what we're doing. We're going to play our base, and we're going to send somebody. Somebody's blitzing. Maybe it's Josie Jewell. Maybe it's Baron Browning. Maybe it's P.J. Locke. Maybe it's Jaquan McMillan. We're sending somebody. Sometimes it's even Pat Sertan. And I think that's the sort of secret sauce for the Broncos here because we're in a we're in a league where you watch defenses try to put the lid on the defense, the anti-Patrick Mahomes defense, which is what the league is. That's really what it is. Dance around it the way you want. It's the anti-Patrick Mahomes defense. And it's working quite well against Mahomes and the Chiefs because they're realizing that not just anybody who throws on a receiver-numbered jersey is going to be good enough. But by not tipping their hand, by basically playing base, by not doing a lot of substitution, and then by sending blitzes from somewhere, I think it's really unsettled the quarterbacks they've played, especially the less experienced one, but it got to Justin Herbert too. And of course the protection matters of anyone they're going after, naturally. But the old tried and true of we're blitzing someone from somewhere and it won't look like they're blitzing until they come. That's always been hard to defend. And as long as you have guys that have the speed to get there, it's dangerous. By going younger, the Broncos actually have been able to unlock some of that.
because they actually do have the speed to send a handful of different guys from different angles at the quarterback. And it leaves guys unsettled. And it was a tremendous adjustment. Maybe they would have done it anyway, even had Benito not been hurt early in the game. But Benito is the leader in sacks that's a great, that's a great on the team. And once he went out, you don't really have a stud on no. whom to rely. And so you send a lot of different people and create chaos. And the effectiveness was proven by the fact that Herbert in recent weeks has been very effective against the blitz, hasn't been sacked much. And the chargers couldn't handle what the Broncos were doing, even though the chargers lately have been they getting blitzed a lot times. and they've handled the blitzes reasonably yeah. well Four until on 21 Sunday. dropbacks. That's barely more than every five yeah. dropbacks. The Broncos were sacking Herbert, yeah. not just pressuring him, taking him to the ground. That's right. And Herbert is not an immobile guy. The injury was to his finger. Yeah. He can move. Well, they were coming from all, all angles. And that was the advantage. It, yeah. it keeps Herbert from doing thinking, all right, it comes to me. I'll just roll out here, but you don't know where it's coming from. And so it's not a complex way of playing defense. But it does require the guys that aren't blitzing to make sure that they're keeping to their responsibilities. And to the Broncos' defense's credit, and I think to Vance Joseph's credit as well, he clearly trusts that they're going to do that. There was never in any game that I saw throughout the years in the National Football League, and I've been watching NFL football for close to 60 years, I had never seen a defense less coordinated than the defense was against Miami. Correct. I agree. Back in September. Never seen anything like it. Now it looks like, if not the most well-coordinated defensive team in the league, then certainly a team that is by any fair definition of a well-coordinated defense, a very well-coached and well-coordinated defense. Everyone seems to know what they're doing. And where are we now? Week 14? Right. After week three, there was a sense that virtually no one, and remember Simmons was out at the time and Browning was still recuperating, that almost no one knew what they were doing. In this game, five sacks, two from inside linebackers, two from safeties, and one from a corner. No edge rushers. Finding a way to get you know, it done. It was reminiscent of a little bit for me. The 2005 uh, Brown Coes, remember that? Yeah. They didn't have a major star as a pass rusher, but they, because they did blitz a lot, Larry Corey loved to blitz, they had a lot of sacks, and they were very disruptive defensively in 2005. In fact, that 2005 team, among the teams that did not reach the Super Bowl, is one of the four or five best Bronco teams of all time. Again, among teams that did not right. reach the Super Bowl. Two on the 2012s in there, uh, 2005 for sure. Um, I can probably think of 1996. two or three others. <laughs> 96 would be number three, if not two or one. Yeah. So that those are three years that jump out. 96, 05, and 2012. Those three years absolutely jump out uh, within a 30-year time span, certainly. If you go back 30 years, that's definitely one, two, and three in whatever order you choose to put them. I mean, 
at 2012 and 11 game winning streak, I believe. At 2005, they lost their opener in Miami badly and hardly lost a game of significance for the rest of the year until they got all the way to the AFC Championship game at home field. Right. Because they had beat New England and Indy got knocked off by lost Pittsburgh. Ben Roethlisberger. And they and lost the to Ben Roethlisberger yep. and the Steelers in one of the better postseason games Ben Roethlisberger ever played. So, uh, in, in 96 was, of course, Jacksonville and Mark Brunel played, I think, on that day against Denver for the Jacksonville Jaguars. An even better game than Roethlisberger played in the 05 AFC Championship game. Well, you can win a trip to the biggest football game of the year, courtesy of Superbook Sports. Superbook will fly you and a friend to Las Vegas for February's championship game, and they will also give you two tickets to the game and a three-night hotel stay. So it's all wrapped up in one spot. All you have to do is place a $25 same-game parlay between now and January 7th, and you're automatically entered to win. So wager and win a super trip to Las Vegas, courtesy of Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In the final frame of last night's game against the Flames, that's a lot of rhymes right there. Did the Avalanche find their mojo? We'll talk about it next on My Life Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. I like the rhythm of our game tonight, the things we were doing, and I just kind of felt like if we ramped it up another notch and made sure that we were relentless in it with our checking habits, that we'd have an opportunity. I don't think there was a major shift except for our back was against the wall and we had no choice but to do it for 20 minutes that of course is the voice of colorado avalanche coach jared bednar yesterday sandy i mentioned that uh you had talked about the avalanche's problem in coughing up last minute goals they didn't quite do it and i described it as kids that are kind of waiting for recess and not paying attention in the last five minutes but they did at the end of the second period with a minute and 26 seconds left on the clock cough up a goal to yegor sharangovich to give calgary a 5-2 lead after two periods five three or pardon me, 5-3 five, three lead. Yeah. Pardon me, yes. Five, I three made lead. the same mistake in my notes last night. Uh, after, uh, Avs score four in third to edge Calgary 6-5. to five, And then, I, whoa, yeah. whoa, wait a minute. That's what Calgary did in the second period. Correct. Score four. The Avalanche actually there scored were a lot three of in the third period. But they did score three goals in a span of four minutes, 10 right. seconds. And they were down with 841 left in the game, 5-3. This mm-hmm. wasn't a matter that they chipped away at the beginning of the period and kind of got things going their way. They waited almost 12 minutes to get on the board, and you're thinking even after they scored the first one, 5-4, they're going to fall one or two goals short, again, based on possibility of an empty netter for Calgary. But they did keep coming to their credit, and this is a rare occasion we can say this during the 23-24 season so far. All four lines Got involved in scoring. Tatar with his first goal as a, an avalanche in the first period. Kale McCarr, of course, scored on uh, on a power play. Ben Myers called up. Myers gets his first goal of the season with assist, by the way, from uh, young defenseman Sam Malinsky. And then in that third period, Ross Colton gets his eighth. 
Miko Rantanen breaks the uh, scoreless slump, and then Nathan McKinnon, surprise, surprise, gets the game winner, who has been consistently excellent despite the Avs' underwhelming play. Miko Rantanen, uh, talk about your funny, uncomfortable moment. He scores, and then has a, a discussion about a, a, a critic because um, he said after the game, quote, it feels good. It's one thing when I've got a lot of extra energy. One of Finnish's NHL players' dads was talking bleep about me in the media that I didn't train last summer like I used to do. He was making things up, so I think that was for him. If you talk bleep, it's going to come back to you. So not happy with the native Finland, the announcer. Here's the problem. That critic on Finnish TV, Ismo Lekkinen. That's Ismo, right. Ismo, is that how it's pronounced? And that's Arturi's dad. Of course. Of course. <laughs> so how and about that? I, I don't know how, I mean, I just think that's how, how strained but... the relationship will be between the two. Uh, Arturi Lekkinen's a pretty good guy. His father is a hockey analyst, I believe, and, yeah. a former coach. And an outspoken one. And that's why outspoken. he has his job. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, he's outspoken. And I read the piece. Uh, I needed to adjust from Finnish to uh, English. Yeah. Uh, but I did read the piece. And it, it's something gets lost in the translation because they call the four lines of four circuits. So half the time I'm looking at the piece, I'm saying, okay, what does this mean? Really in English. Because uh, if it gets translated literally, yeah. you're talking about four circuits and this guy plays in the first circuit. And I did, you know, I'm not that slow. I did pick up on it and, and got an understanding of what, what was being said. As I read the piece, I I honestly didn't think it was that bad. I didn't either. Here's what he I, I said translated from Finnish. Yeah. Uh, the translation would be, could it be that Miko's hit a wall for a while? He didn't have a very good summer. There was a lot of cross travel. He had to be right. in Helsinki and other places. He right. must have subconsciously driven himself down after difficult years, but maybe his training was not done in quite the same way as before. Obviously, that touched a nerve. <laughs> well, it would have touched a nerve with me, too, especially since the slump followed one of the hottest starts that any player had this year in the NHL. Yes. So it, it's not like he's got three or four goals and was waiting nine games for a fifth. Uh, I mean, he had 12 goals. And mm-hmm. I, I said to you the other day, boy, it seems like he's been stuck on 12 for a while. And you said, well, yeah, like eight games. Eight games. Became nine. Mm-hmm. Became, eight became nine. Right. And then last night he kind of broke loose. Um, and that first line had seven points. <laughs> Nishish had two assists, uh, a goal and an assist for McKinnon, and one, two, and three points. Uh, one goal, two assists, three points for Rantanen. And all played at least 25 minutes, 50 seconds. So a basic average out to well over 26 minutes for the three of them. And, uh, by the way, Nathan McKinnon had the face-off game of his life last night. He went 20 for 27 on draws. That'll probably never happen again, but this year he's been notably better in the face-off circles. Maybe he's learned something from Johansson. Maybe Maybe that's been Johansson's big contribution. Because it is. He's made Nathan McKinnon better on face It's not a fluke. I mean, we've seen him be better all year in at least well over the last, you know, three weeks or so in the face-off circle. Notably different. Maybe he did pick up a trick or something. You're never too old. Maybe. I've never understood why... uh, a player can't learn to be a good face-off man. And I've talked about it more in the context of DU hockey because mm-hmm. David Carl has uh, some splendid face-off men, the centers on his team. They're not only really good players, they're all good on face-offs. And that, that doesn't mean you're good every game. I mean, right. Some games are not going to be great. 
But well, and the other the other guy. But it seems to me say too. That, that, that let's say McKinnon for his career has been around. I don't know, forty six to forty seven percent on draws. And I, I think you're why being can't that be forty eight, forty nine percent? Which would wouldn't for a guy with his hands at all? Yeah. You know, a guy with his hands. Why why couldn't it be? Not not great. Not winning six out of every ten or five and a half out of every ten. I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying, uh, you know, get a little closer to 50-50. Mm-hmm. Even if you're a little below it, would would that be impossible? And listen, if you're going to have a weakness and you're a player like McKinnon, that's the weakness to have. He's at forty-eight point six percent now. Now at home, well, that's well, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. And at home, fifty-one point seven, which yeah. is which is dominant. Yeah. So, yeah. and those are yeah. outliers that's based it. on the course of his career. Yeah. So he's got a lot better. Miko yeah. Rantanen, by the way, when you talk about the 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 drought, okay, yeah. which is real, yeah. uh, he's still eighteenth in the league in goals and eleventh in points. Well, so yeah. but but he was top ten, in- right? But I mean, you know. But I'm not going to borrow that, that stuff. I'm not going to borrow many pages from Aaron Rodgers, but I would say, relax. Just relax. Yeah, <laughs> relax. And and maybe uh, you know, I I think probably, and I I assume Mika Renton read the whole piece, and but but what stuck in his and, and he may have was been the part about once. a long summer, and you didn't work. You didn't out. work out hard enough. You that is something that rubs guys the wrong you way. Hit the wall and all this stuff, and I I can see you. You know, maybe they ought to bring uh, Mr. Lekkinen over. Uh, and have him motivate yep. Mika Renton regularly. I guess so. Yeah, it seems like it's pretty uh, for you know, or at least maybe uh, Arturi Lekkinen can just keep sending texts from share texts from his dad or something and let him know in the locker room. Hey, uh, Dad said that you stink because of this today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, let it let it work but, but out. I didn't think it was that strong, but no, I didn't but either. I thought it was a cute story, but but it and this way. it finish did the trick. Um, did while the trick. while um, a lot of American sports talk. You know, and this show kind of notwithstanding has has to do with um, a lot of manufactured drama and angst, and it's got to have big hot takes and everything. Um, that is, if not a uniquely American thing, it's heavily American. Yeah. So I mean, it may very well have been that gently suggesting that he might not be in the same shape and finish might have been as much as just yelling "You suck" from the back. Yeah, right? yeah. I, mean, I don't know. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the equivalent. <laughs> See, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, but but you know, we both remember to when, Rico, very when they went over there. Yeah. And oh, yeah. weren't, weren't Renton and Lekin and the big stars oh, right. families hung out together? Absolutely. Now, I, it, it, it's it's interesting to me because we hear often from players in sports, and not necessarily Renton, but players in sports, when we're critical or when our uh, print brethren mm-hmm. critical, well, you never played the game, right? Right. Players don't like to be criticized. And Lekkinen's father was a coach yeah. you certainly can't say he didn't play or he doesn't know anything which is about probably it, why it probably bugged him more still bugged it's him. actually wait, from wait, a person whose that, opinion he cares about right right but it still bugged him at least as much as it would have had a local columnist come after him right which hasn't happened and, that, I, and why would it i mean obviously he's had a no reason. He's had a phenomenal, uh, you know, career thus far. I was so impressed with Mark Kisler, who coined the term Kendall during the Stanley Cup playoffs <laughs> right. on the way to the Stanley Cup a couple of years ago for Jared Bednar um, when he uh, wrote a column the other day and actually acknowledged that this might be about as good a coaching job as Bednar has done, given all the stuff that's been going on, trying to integrate new players, not all of whom have uh, played very well. And also coping with uh, 
a few injuries, nothing yeah. like last year, but a few injuries here and there. And frankly, I'll tell you what else he's had to juggle, and we saw it last night, the goaltending. And, yes, I, I, you know, Prosvatov came in after, I thought, a shaky outing against Philadelphia and was perfect. 11 for period, 11. 11 for 11. And he was not untested. I, I, I agree. Especially late. I agree. He made some back-to-back I, stops I, within literally a second of each other that were both they outstanding. They could have lost, even after they had tied the game, they could have lost 6-5, and he made some big saves. And you know what? I thought Georgiev in the first two periods was worse than Prosatov than the other night. And, uh, I mean, even, and made even the right our, and our friends, uh, Mosier and uh, Rycroft, on uh, the goal that slipped yeah, under that. underneath the armpit mm-hmm. and didn't quite get the glove into position and it just and quite frankly, completely Ka- misplayed it. And that's what Rycroft said. Kadri's physicality he put him on tilt a little bit. That's too. a bad goal. Kadri for the Flames put him on tilt a little bit. Yeah. Bugged him. Got under his skin. Yeah. Can't and do that. Uh, you can do that. And I want to mention this about Georgiev. And I should have mentioned it the other day because I noticed it in a recent game and the Avs noticed it too. And he got chewed out. Shades of last January when he screamed at Makar in Vancouver that mm-hmm. night when Makar had nothing to do with anything that happened. Well, there was a shot that got past him the other night, and Sam Malinsky was standing in front of him, probably a little out of position. Okay. Puck goes in. He whacks Malinsky in the shin with his stick yeah. and starts yelling at him. And Bednar and uh, company, the, the staff, said, we're going to speak to him about that, that that doesn't why and to his credit Georgiev said after the game yeah that's that's my bad that's 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 a terrible look I shouldn't have done it he's he's trying to do his job the avalanche get the sabers they will uh, play here in Denver tomorrow night that'll be a slightly later start TNT game we'll find out who's in net I think there's a very good chance Prosvetov earned himself a start, but we will find out. So. We'll turn yeah. our attention back to the Denver Broncos. Joining us to break it all down will be the Denver Gazette's Chris Thomason. We'll talk about it all on Miley Sports. Hockey.